Welcome to Opt In with April Jasper, relevant conversations about topics important to eye care providers today. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. April Jasper, and I'm joined today on our podcast with Bonnie Jo Daniels. Welcome, Bonnie Jo. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here with you, April. So some of our listeners and guests may not know that you and I met a few years ago when we put together a presentation for my colleagues to help bring awareness to the world of optometry in regards to the area of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And you have been so instrumental in helping David and I to stay engaged, involved, educated. And uh, I have been nervous about this with you because I tend to cry when you talk. (laughs) But it's okay because I think our listeners and uh, viewers are used to that too Mm -hmm. from me. So, Bonnie Jo, thank you for all you do. First of all, let me just start by saying that you inspired David to participate in the Hope Ride for Freedom. That was in January of 2021. And uh, we January 2022. Yeah. So we appreciate you getting us on uh, that whole in that whole process of helping to bring awareness in that way, but also raise money. Mm hmm. And uh, you've done so much already for us, and I'm hoping our listeners are able to uh, gain a lot here as well. So before you tell us some some really cool things here today, Bonnie Joe, and help us to understand this better, I want people to understand a little bit more about what you have done as well in the past. So Bonnie Joe Daniels is a licensed mental health counselor at Speak Life Community LLC and the aftercare director at Hope for Freedom at Christ Fellowship Church, where we go to church. She provides strength-based, trauma-informed mental health counseling to survivors of trafficking and other traumatic events. In the community, she is part of a multidisciplinary team that provides wraparound services of case management, life and job skills, and academic achievement for young adults. And as you know, if you listen to part one of this two-part series, in part one, we highlighted the problem of human trafficking and what we need to know to be able to identify a victim the hotline that you should call, and then kind of what happens when you call that hotline. I want to today turn a little bit different direction and talk to our audience about what that journey to survival looks like. So Bonnie Joe, is there anything you want to start out with, anything that uh, you want to tell us about your history? I kind of gave everybody some of your credentials, but tell us how you ended up in this field. Yeah, so I initially feel like um, the Lord just really called me to this particular topic because I had no idea of the concept. Um, And I was at a crossroads with my previous career um, after taking care of my parents and just kind of seeking the Lord for direction. And he kept leading me to these meetings. um, And I was like, okay, I'll go to a meeting, I have nothing to do, I'm at this crossroads. So I started going to all these meetings, which were the original human trafficking coalition meetings prior to 2010 when I came on the scene. And I did that for 18 months. And um, and then one of those meetings was at Christ Fellowship Church with Pastor Todd and Julie Mullins. And um, 
I get choked up a little bit too because it feels like <laughs> such a God intervention. Um, I was invited to that meeting not to be a part of the roundtable discussion, but for somebody to be um, taking notes. I was just their note taker. Wow. So I was supposed to be quiet <laughs> and not say a word. And if you know me, that when I have information, like that's not going to work. <laughs> um, but Pastor Todd just kept asking different questions of the roundtable. And when I would hear the pause and nobody had any answers, I just started helping them with wow. solutions, um, connecting them to the right people, being the networker for the community. And that's how they actually hired me to do contract work on the spot. Wow. And, um, and I did that. And then I eventually went full time with them. We were in the process of launching a safe house back then um, because the biggest cry was always housing. And so that was our initial thought. Pastor Todd and Julie had just a heart for this topic. It was breaking their heart just like it was breaking mine. So we knew God was up to something. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, so that's how I initially came and started and became the aftercare director um, was on the, um, like I said, more on the, the side of things that was bringing up the, ho- the house, how right. to get it off the ground, you know, how to do, bring in pro- project managers and who to hire and what does it look like in state, right. state mandates. Well, you know, I didn't understand the need and I know that you're, you, you say it, but I don't know that our listeners truly understand when you say the biggest need was for safe housing after people are rescued. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's still, we we um, we had our safe house for five years, and then the state just made some changes, just like a lot of the states do, and we don't have that operating right now. Um, we're doing wraparound services currently now where we follow the survivors wherever they are placed. Okay. But I say that, and also housing is still one of the prevalent needs in our area. So when somebody gets rescued, it depends on their age, it depends on their cooperation, level with law enforcement. Um, And so, for example, if they're a minor, they're going to be a part of the uh, DCF system. If they aren't living with a family or a grandparent or an aunt, then they are going to be a part of the Department of Children and Family Services. And that is a very difficult, you know, thing because you're putting somebody who had such severe trauma into a foster care system. Um, And so immediately there's mandates for training, and we'll talk about that a little bit later later on, but that would be housing of a minor. Now, if let's say it was a family member and their child got trafficked, um, then we're trying to put support services around that family to help that child stay in the family. But that child's going to need a lot of intensive, you know, care. If they're adults, um, then there's how, again, another housing, where are we going to put them? Because we're trying to get them away from their traffickers. Is that many times the reason why they don't leave their traffickers? Can Uh, it have an influence? the trafficker is providing a service for them. A lot of young people, 19, 20, 21, 24, 25, they cannot support themselves on their own. Right. You know, if you think about right now the rising costs of housing here in South Florida and around the nation. Um, So traffickers do provide a service and that is unfortunate. So let's jump into some of the things that you're working on currently. The, f- the first one I want to ask you about are just what are some of the services that survivors may need upon rescue? We talked about housing. Mm-hmm. 
what else? Well, before I go into that, I actually yeah. want to frame something because yes. I think this is very important when we're talking about aftercare. And this is um, taken right from the uh, World Health Organization. It's actually the definition of wellness, okay. mental health wellness. And so somebody who is um, mentally well, emotionally well, uh, can realize their own unique abilities. They can cope with the normal stressors of life. They can work productively, and they can make a contribution to their community. So I say that, and I want to use that as a framework now mm -hmm. before we talk about any of the traumas that these survivors are experiencing. Um, and so when it comes to unique services, the first thing is stabilization. They have to be stabilized. And so for some survivors, that might look like a few days, a few yeah. weeks, months, few years. My average counseling session with a survivor lasts four plus years. Wow. Of stable. And that is because of the heart behind Christ Fellowship and Hope for Freedom, because Pastor Todd and Julie, again, I get choked up because they are providing that service. Yes. And oh, my goodness. Thank goodness somebody is, because without that time and without the service you provide for them, that they would never get to that place of wellness. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Um, now, there are great services and there are great counseling agencies, or, yeah. um, you know, but a lot of times these are difficult clients. Yes. They don't want to engage in therapy. You know, they don't want to face their trauma. They really yeah. want to avoid it and stuff it just like most sure. people do. Sure. But it comes back and it starts to interfere with their relationships. And then it starts to interfere with their ability to hold down a job. Yeah. And then pretty soon they realize I got to get counseling. I will not ever forget the last meeting I went to just uh, last month, I think it was one of the first things, I'm not sure if it was you, Bonnie Joe, or someone else that was uh, speaking that said is that while you're here, if something is triggered in you and you have a memory or a feeling that this has been something that has happened to you, please exit yes. and find a counselor. We have them waiting for you. Yes. And I thought that was, I mean, it just boggled my mind to even think that there could be somebody in the audience who's been through it and has yet put it out of their mind. And that's pretty much what you were saying is there could be people that have completely suppressed it or put it in the back of their head so they just don't even ever think about it. Especially when I'm working with children, the first couple of years, they don't know that they're um, been victimized. Wow. They absolutely do not have a clue. And so they're, they're, they're usually processing some type of a trauma that has to do with familial, their family, you know, an argument with a parent or something, you know, devastating. And that's kind of where they begin. They're not really thinking trafficking is the trauma wow. um, because they go back to that bond of attachment between a caregiver. That's the original trauma. I didn't have the love I wanted from my mom. I didn't have the support from my dad. That in their mind is the trauma. Wow. They don't even realize that trafficking you know, whether it was through the familial trafficking, like Laura was talking about, or trafficking by a boyfriend, they don't even realize that that's trauma. Oh, my goodness. Well, then when you have someone that that and remember, we we you and I have kind of had this conversation, this language, we're using victim versus survivor. Yeah. So why don't you start by telling us where did that come from? What does that mean? 
Yeah, and there's um, there's a lot of theories around that, but um, generally a victim is somebody who is in captivity. Okay. Um, and again, they may or may not know it, but that is what we call victim. Once they're rescued, we don't like to use that terminology of yep. victim anymore because they're they are a survivor now. They've thrived. They've lived through that. Yes. Um, and they have a lot of strengths that they can bring to the table. So that's kind of where the language shifts okay. a little bit. And what are the services that they need at that point? Yeah. So again, it depends on um, each individual. This is such an individualized question. So if they're in the initial stages of a rescue, um, they might need translation services. Um, they might need uh, stable short-term housing where they're, uh, you know, potentially have an interview with law enforcement to try to catch the traffickers. Um, so those are the early clothes. Um, we've been asked, Laura and I both have been asked from FBI and a couple of different agencies, you know, this person came in the middle of the night literally with no clothes, you know, just the clothes yep. on their back. Yep. Um, and so we will bring duffel bags. Um, we call them love bags. And we bring that um, to them. And it just, you know, slippers and sweat pants and cozy things right. a teddy bear and we put a bible in <laughs> wow. um, and, and we give that to them so that they have something initially I can take a shower I can feel human again yep. so that's the initial stages wow. that service is going to look very different than somebody who has you know had been rescued a few months ago they might need to go back and forth to different court hearings meet with case mm -hmm. managers there is an intake assessment um, that the agency does the rescuing agency, as well as the collaborative partners, uh, the task force and law enforcement, they do an intake assessment and they really are looking at, okay, what does it take for this individual to be stabilized? If we're dealing with a, a minor again that has no family in the area, we're looking at, we need to go through DCF. If we're looking for a child that does have a family member, then we need to make sure that trafficker doesn't live in that neighborhood, right. that that family oh is gosh. not, you know, in jeopardy. Um, and, if we're dealing with an adult, where is the trafficker? Where where did the rescue take place? Um, so there's so many elements, but but just some of the basics that um, I have here: crisis intervention, um, legal assistance, education, life skills, child care, uh, transportation. I think is huge. I I really Laura and I talk about this all the time. If I could find somebody that could uh, repair used cars <laughs> and be able to give a survivor their first car, or you know they have tiny homes or apartment buildings where they wouldn't mind just renting out one apartment to one of our survivors, we could find some money to kind of bridge the gap there, but yep. that is what we need. Wow. So we talk about the assistance that victims need. Do you need specific training to assist them? Yeah, you really do. Um, and the coalition does an amazing job of training volunteers and the community. But when it looks like professional training, you know, you have a multidisciplinary team that wraps around these survivors. So right. of course, you have law enforcement, law enforcement, um, Florida statute 943.17297 uh, requires four hours of law enforcement training that are intense, plus um, annual training for them. Uh, 
anyone who is very close to the client as far as housing or living, um, there is a 24-hour training that is required and then eight years annually for every year you stay with that agency. Um, but those are professional trainings, case management, therapists, project coordinators, they're all requiring training. Um, and then there's other community trainings that um, if you wanted to be a volunteer or an advocate, um, yeah. you could do that as well, but you do need to get trained. You do need to go through volunteer training. And again, the coalition is a great place to do that as well as a lot of other local agencies. Okay. We talked a little bit on the last podcast about the Palm Beach County Coalition. Mm-hmm. Is there is there typically a coalition, a human trafficking coalition in every state? Every state has some type of breath and expression of a coalition, and it's going to look different in each state. Okay. And um, this is where Google is, my friend, because I would <laughs> yeah. just say, you okay. know, Google North Carolina slash coalition and see what comes up and start there. Um, you can also go to the Polaris Project website, uh, polarisproject.org, punch in your state, and it'll come up with all the resources and providers where you can get training there locally. Good. I love being able to give that information out. Are there areas where volunteers can assist? Yes. Um, there are so many wonderful um, areas where volunteers can assist, a lot of times with presentations, uh, whether they be school or community presentations. So if you will take the time to understand the language, the knowledge um, around human trafficking, and then be trained with some speaking tips, uh, you can join multi-agencies that are looking for speakers and present to do presentations in the community for awareness. We also have outreach campaigns where people will go walk the street um, and they'll wow. give out the lip bombs that Laura was talking about um, or they'll give out flyers of missing children. We, war- yeah. we walk out with law enforcement officers and we do it in a group and we just knock on doors and hand out flyers and say, hey, these, these kids are missing. You know, If you see anything, say something. Here's the human trafficking hotline, which again is one 888 And if you see something, say something, report it. Wow. Are there barriers? So I don't even really know how to say this, but I'm just going to say it it seems as if something as terrible as human trafficking should have much more awareness. We all should know more about it. uh, People heard my story. I had no idea. The shop next door to us, Mm -hmm. our, our office, had signs up on the walls and I felt very uncomfortable with them. And at first I thought, why does Janelle have these signs everywhere? What mm-hmm. is wrong with her? <laughs> this mm-hmm. is not a problem today. Mm-hmm. And it took me almost a year to finally get become brave enough to ask her about it because I was so uncomfortable with a conversation. And then, of course, I was just upset with myself for not knowing before. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we don't even really so many people don't even know that it, it, this is an, an issue is mind boggling to me, even though I was there at one point. What are the barriers, though, that you think are keeping us from more knowledge, number one? And then let's take it to what are the barriers that uh, link clients that keep people from being able to come up with resources to uh, get services that they need when this is an issue. Maybe it's two of the same, the barriers are the same for both. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So one Mm -hmm. at a time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so some of the original barriers of just getting the professionals that know what they're doing to be able to work together, um, sometimes is funding. So Uh, funding is always, (laughs) I know, it's always there. Uh, Funding is an issue and funding has to go over review boards, (laughs) sometimes annually, sometimes, you know, twice a year, um, coming from 
government, whether it comes from, you know, private donorship, but funding is always an issue. And because we can't produce stories because we need to protect them, people who are giving money wants to know where their money is going to. So if we're giving money for a building, we can see the building. It's the library. Everybody goes there, right? But if you're giving money and you can't see the benefits, sometimes there's not money in the pockets when you go to ask next year. Right. Because people want to see something. So that's that's very difficult. And sometimes even just when an agency receives grant money and then it runs out and then there's that little three-month gap (laughs) until... They, they got the approval and it, got, wow. it came in. There's a three-month gap with no funding. And so that is a struggle uh, and one of the, you know, probably prevalent barriers. Housing, I'm going to say it again, is a barrier. Um, and, and what that would look like um, is so, there's so many creative ideas. People have given us money for a week's stay in a hotel. People have given us money for an extra room that they had, you know, in, in um in a condo that they weren't living in that, wow. you know, so we've had, we've had to get very creative and we kind of like it like that because that's not like one building where all the victims go, it becomes right. a target. Right. It has to remain under the radar only to be known by the key people that need to place people there. Yep. Transportation is a barrier. Um, you cannot expect a 19 year old with no parent, no familial, background to be able to go to and from a working job on a regular basis without it hurting. Okay. So I, I work with, you know, the 18 and over population and they're expected to get an Uber, get a Lyft to their jobs. So that is eating immediately into their paycheck. So if that happened, that's like taking a taxi to work every day, right? you know, Um, and their, their paychecks are entry level positions. So we're not talking with a whole lot of leftover. And then how are you paying for your rent? You know, and what if you have child care? I mean, what if you have children? Okay, so, and and then I'm going to go to work or do I pay child care? It becomes very difficult. There's a lot of packages that people could um, get involved in. Not not to even mention your mental state while you're trying to do all this. Exactly. It's hard enough for someone who in in the category you read to us is in a wellness state. Exactly. But when you're not, to be able to get past all these barriers just to function. Exactly. Employers that have flexibility with the people that we're bringing them. You know, if I could just talk to like one person from Exxon or one from, you know, just different places, I would go, can we just have one intern (laughs) come, you know, and they're going to be maybe a little unstable at times. They might be a little frustrated. They might be a little quick tempered. But is there anyone that could work with our, you know, survivors? to give them those job skills, working with, you know, career source, working um, just with giving those them an opportunity to get a handle on their mental health. It is a process. Well, what can we do to be a better partner? So there are, I know, so many people listening, if not everybody that's listening or watching that hears this, they've heard about the problem of human trafficking. They now hear about what the victims who are now survivors really need to be able to continue to uh, improve and do well. What can we do as people that are listening and hearing this 
to get more involved, what would you say is step one? Mm -hmm. And then Bonnie Jo, how would you kind of wrap this conversation up to give us kind of a call to action? Yeah. So I think um, first and foremost, if you have any type of a resource that could be shared, so you're in the eye care business, if you would be willing to do one free eye exam a year, that would be a great, you know, contribution. So a chiropractor, um, a doctor's visit, uh, you know, anything, a dental, yep. just one. If you, I don't want to overwhelm any provider who is here locally, but if you would just give one free, I think that is a call to action. We do that through Sharing One Love, where you can register as a service provider, and we just do a matching to where we have needs, and then we have services, and you match, and we won't overwhelm you know, like I said, overwhelm the system. Um, the other thing I think you can do is start by just getting informed. Yeah. That's the easiest thing. You got to temper your own mental health when you're walking into this. Yes. So you have to be able to go to like a coalition meeting, listen to a podcast like this and just see how am I doing? How, how shaken up am I? Yeah. You know, if I can't sleep tonight after listening to this podcast, then I have to move slow. Don't overwhelm yourself with, you know, inundated of information, but pace yourself with information. So that is really, I think, the two main starting points. If you have a uh, resource, share it and put your big toe in trying to look at awareness in your community and get yourself educated. I love it. Thank you for sharing. We. Yeah. We want to do more. I know I say we because I'm speaking for all the people that are listening. And I know that there are many who really haven't even heard much about this topic. So this is the first time. And it's such good advice to say, take a little bit, mm -hmm. make sure you're okay. Yeah. Don't go crazy jumping in because yeah. it's too much for some people to handle even on that side. Yeah. So a little bit at a time. But mm -hmm. I think what helped David and I was just becoming more aware I would read I would uh, watch some of the videos that are on Polaris and even just going to find who what is my local organization yes. that I can get involved in and then give back by helping in our communities in whatever way we find out we can do yeah and you you helped with the hope ride that rate raised awareness all the way from St. Augustine all the way to Palm Beach County um, and that's something that yeah. that Dave loves to do he loves to ride his bike so yes. that was one way that he could get involved so I love that it was amazing. Our, our whole family got involved. The kids were excited. We even took the dogs and uh, met them along the way because it was 100 miles every day. We had so much fun being part of a group that was working to bring awareness and raise money. So I, can, I can't thank you enough for helping to put us into that. We are already registered for 2023. Hopefully people that listen will become part of that ride as well. But um, Bonnie Joe, I know that we're going to end up having you back and Laura as well, because this is such good information, but I just want to thank you for your time. Again, volunteering here to even just be a part of this mm -hmm. is so appreciated. And thank you for all you do. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Before neural lenses, I always had eye strain, eye dryness, eye fatigue, moderate to severe headaches. I had to take prescription medication. It was to the point where I guess they'd want me to sit down and color or read them books and I couldn't. I can do nothing. When I got my neural lenses, my headache went away. I wasn't taking Tylenol anymore. Can't explain it, but it worked. I would pay double for my neural lenses because I can't go a day without them. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Opt In with Dr. April Jasper.